0: show we have Eileen from North Carolina with quite the story to share. From losing a premature baby to hospital interventions as a teenager, Eileen went on to experience both a traumatic abortion and then an abusive hospital birth with her first live child. Finally, with just her husband outside at their home, she free births her daughter, drumming the night away as she labored, fully claiming her body, her baby, and birth experience.
1: Altogether, I've been pregnant seven times. Um, my first pregnancy I was 16, um, was going through this whole um that thing when you're like a teenager and you're like, I want to be a mom, and like, da 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 And like really bad. <laughs> um and I wasn't careful, I wasn't being very careful. Um, I was just kind of like hearing about like you know natural family planning type of stuff but I didn't I really didn't know anything about it um and so I got pregnant and um suffice to say my parents were not thrilled um my dad is a marine so he can kind of (laughs) roll with that um very OCD controlling type personality and um I um, knew right away that I already wanted to have a natural birth. I wanted to have a home birth. Um, My grandma had my dad in the hospital, and then she had my two aunts at home. Um, In my dad was 71, born in North Dakota. You know, they had the big drape where she couldn't even see between her legs. They shaved her, forced her to have an enema, like took the baby away right away, you know, my aunt came out all cord all wrapped around her and the midwife starts freaking out and talking about, you know, transferring. And my grandma's like, it's fine. Unwraps the cord and like blows on her face and she cries <laughs> like, you know? Um, so I, I grew up with knowing all of that and my grandma being, you know, really into breastfeeding. She breastfed for basically the 12 years that she was a little league leader. Um, all three kids until they were like four. Um, and so at 16, I was like, yeah, you know, this is, this is totally normal. This is, you know, this is what I want. And, um, I started trying to find a midwife. Um, I found one in Newport, but she was busy around my due date and she was like, I had a home birth at 16. You can do it like super supportive. Um, and then 29 weeks rolled around and I went into preterm labor, had no idea. Um, the people at the, um, doctor's office and at the hospital, they're like, Oh, you're just dehydrated. Maybe you have a UTI. Um, you know, take some Tylenol, drink some water, go in a bath. And I almost delivered him at home. Uh, the, uh, the amniotic sac came out. I was like, oh, like I was having all back labor. And my mom's like, well, you have a doctor's appointment today anyway. We'll get you checked out, and so I went to go use the bathroom, and it like descended into my hand. Whoa! I was just like, oh, I was holding it there, and uh, I start screaming for my mom. She comes in, and she's like, you know, well, it's not his head, um, so that's good. <laughs> um, it's it's your bag of waters, and so my sister, who was like, thirteen at the time, was like, mom, do you want me to call nine one one? Um, cuz my mom, my mom was losing her mind so whoa uh, i rode in the ambulance to the hospital on base and cuz we lived off base and they um were like well we can either push this back and inside of you and have you on bed rest and hope that you can keep the baby in a little longer and that you don't get an infection or we can break your water and you can have a baby in about 20 minutes
0: hold on push it back yeah <laughs> I've never
1: even heard of that. I I don't know. So it wasn't they,
0: it wasn't ruptured?
1: No, it was like a bulging
0: bag like coming mobile. down.
1: Yeah. Oh. Because that that preterm, the bag is so strong. Right. It's not supposed to open. Right. Um and the baby is smaller so it hasn't been stretched as much. Um there's not as much fluid as would be like a term baby.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I was like, well, infection sounds like a bad thing. So let's not do that. (laughs) Um, and so they broke my water and my contractions, which had stopped resumed. Um, and I pushed for like 15 minutes and had a three pound, three ounce, 29 week baby. Hmm. And, uh, so that was my first like birth experience. Um, other than like the really bad back labor wasn't horrible. It was like five and a half hours start to finish. Um, And then um, they took him to the hospital about an hour and a half away. um, And I didn't get to hold him until he was three days old um, because he was on like isolation and it took like a day. They thought I was six. They wouldn't let me into the NICU. And it was this, but it was a doctor who had attended us that called in sick and it was this big mess. Um, so he was like three days old by the time that I got to hold him. And when I held him, my milk came in, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I never got to breastfeed him, but he did get some of my milk. Um, and then at about two weeks old, they transferred him to uh, chapel Hill. And he was there for about five days because he was having distension. Um, he wasn't digesting the milk. And they thought he might have been having um, necrotizing enterocolitis, where parts of the intestine, um, they're not getting blood um, and they start to die. Mm-hmm. So they sent him up there because they had a pediatric surgeon. Um, they said he was fine, but they were going to put him on a thing of antibiotics for like a week. And at that point he had had all these little IVs in his hands and his feet and his, all his little vessels were shot pretty much. And they couldn't do like the big, um, that much, uh, IV fluid for him to live on it basically for, cause he wouldn't be able to have any food, food, um, for the whole time. I don't know why, but, um, so they gave him a pick line, um, without asking us, um, we had signed a waiver at the first hospital that if he ever needed a pick line um, that we were granting permission because there is a risk of death. Um, however, they told us that the risk of death was from infection because they either do it through your um, the femoral artery in your leg or through the main artery, um, your brachial artery in your arm. And it's a really thick catheter that goes straight into the heart. And so obviously if there's if bacteria gets in at that site, it goes straight, straight into the heart. Um, so we transferred to the next hospital. Um, we didn't sign a waiver for them. <laughs> I don't know if they just took our paperwork from the last hospital. Um, they didn't say they were going to do it or anything. I just called to check on him cause it was like a three, three and a half hour drive. So we didn't get up there every day. And, um, I wasn't driving at the time. And so they uh were like, "Oh yeah, we did this thing. Um he's doing great." So we're like, "Okay." That was on a Wednesday. Um I saw him Wednesday afternoon and Thursday, and he had not been a fussy baby. The only time he cried was when he got a diaper change. Otherwise, he never cried. Um I don't know if that's just a preemie thing or that was just him, but he never cried. Um, he loved to be swaddled and all of that. And Thursday when I saw him, he was fussy, didn't want to be swaddled, kept crying. And I was like, something is wrong. Like, and the only, uh, um, by Thursday, the only thing he was, um, he had a nasal cannula in the pick line. That was it. He didn't have any of his other tubes and, um, and he was down to like, almost air, uh, like room air, oxygen almost, um, Friday, they told us that, um, his, uh, um, he'd gone off of the nasal cannula that he was breathing room air on his own. Um, and we're like, great, that's awesome. And that was like Friday morning, Friday afternoon. And then they called us Friday night. At like six thirty or so, and they were like, "Your son died. There's nothing we could have done." And like that, they had tried to do um, CPR for like thirty minutes. Um, they had stuck a syringe in his uh, chest cavity and like pulled out air and like a little bit of fluid. Um, and they didn't know. They didn't know what had happened. We didn't find out what had happened until we got the autopsy results back. And he, the pick line that was pumping IV fluid into his heart, the IV fluid was passing through the fibers of the muscle through the heart and out into the space that, so the heart muscle sits in a bag, basically, um, that's called the pericardium. And there's a space in there that um, was filling up with IV fluid. And it just kept filling until the heart basically ran out of room to beat and he had a cardiac arrest. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that was pretty, pretty intense. (laughs) Um, And so that was, um, but that whole experience, the whole being pregnant and knowing that I wanted to have a home birth and, you know, having him and even losing him, like, that whole thing was what put me on my path to being a midwife. Sure. And and what was his name? Emmerich. Emmerich?
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Did they... <laughs> did they I, I'm just... I'm going back to... I'm, I'm imagining the part where you first show up and you have this bulging bag. And I'm wondering like how honest or transparent your medical team was with you about the risk of death if you break the bag and have the baby now?
1: Um, They didn't say anything. They didn't say what the risk of, of infection. They didn't say an infection could kill him. They did say that a possible infection could have been what was um, causing the preterm labor. Mm. Um, and they did find elevated white blood cells um, in his lungs when they did the, when they did the autopsy, but that can also be related to like having a CPAP machine and like all these other things. So, and that um, was
0: 21 days after birth.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, they didn't test my placenta. They didn't like, I remember my mom, like my placenta, I don't even remember birthing my placenta. Like I don't remember it at all. Um, And I just remember my mom looking at it and like kind of poking it and asking the nurse if that was, if it looked healthy, if that's how it was supposed to look. And she's like, yeah, it looks great. And like walked off. Like, so, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I did, what I did find is because what had happened while I was pregnant about a month before I actually had him, I would have sex maybe once a week. And because I was pregnant, I was like, well, we don't need to use a condom or like pull out or anything. Um, we'd been together almost two years. Um, and every time after we would have sex, I would have cramps for like Mm -hmm. three hours and then they would go away. I was like, huh. Um, so then it was like Saturday night or Sunday night, um cuz i had him on a monday morning um i think it was like saturday night maybe um i was like like don't do that like don't don't finish inside me and i didn't have contractions and i was like that's what it is if we just stop doing that we'll be good right i didn't know at the time that there is actual like compounds in semen that can stimulate the cervix and da 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 um but i just was smart enough to make that connection. So I was like, yeah, let's not do that. Well, then like 12 hours later, I go into actual labor. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And not that that caused it. Yeah. But um, I think, I think, yeah, I think the biggest contributing factor though, to the, to the preterm labor was the amount of stress that I was under during that pregnancy. Sure. Um, my parents hated me. Mm. They were like, You know, I come from a relatively privileged, maybe middle-class, like, military family. Um, We didn't eat a lot of junk food. I ate moderately well. um, You know, salad with dinner every night, blah, blah, blah. Um, But my, like, the emotional sphere was extremely stressful, um, emotional, energetic. Um, You know, my mom would blame me for their marital problems. And my dad was like, oh, so what? Are you going to be a welfare slot now? Like, those were the kinds of things that I was dealing with. Well, um, we, we and...
0: super undervalue stress and its impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a society, like, yep. obviously, we both know that. But absolutely, <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, I'm I am sure that that's what it was. If there If there was never any discovery of anything else, and that's what you feel like it was, I mean, look at, look at our, you know, health disparities of women in color. And, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, we have no idea why that's happening. It's like, no, no, it's, it's stress from the systematic racism that they deal with in their pregnancy and lives, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, I think we don't, we don't honor or acknowledge the intensity of, or the impact of that on our bodies and our children enough.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um. So it put, yeah, it puts you on this path towards midwifery at, so what, so what happens after that? So you have this terrible loss through this, so sounds like subpar hospital team or decisions and you're still 16 ish. So what happens mm-hmm. after that? Like how um, many years later is your second baby?
1: Um, well I got pregnant again, um, in, just be- tu- just before I turned eighteen, my birthday's in December, so um I was like a month shy of becoming eighteen. Um, my partner, who I had had the first baby with, um we had broken up um because of how like stressful the whole ordeal was. Neither of us could cope, and it was just yeah. this mess with our parents and da 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 so we broke up a year well, half a year goes by. I had gone away for a while. I come back. Um, we are, um, kind of hooking up again. Um, and I get pregnant. So in North Carolina, you have to be 18 to get an abortion without, um, uh, parents parental consent. Yeah. Yeah. So such a bad law. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, we do have a Planned Parenthood. It's like an hour and a half from here. So, um,
0: and are your parents for or against,
1: um, I was pretty sure that they would be against though. At one point in my first pregnancy, my dad was like, you can't go to prom unless you get an abortion. And I was like 21 weeks at that point. Gross. Um, yeah. So, um, but I knew that my mom was pretty like vehemently, um, they're very Christian, both mm-hmm. of them. Um, more so my mom, but, um, so I made the appointment. Um, I was going to be like eight weeks, a week or two after, um, I turned 18 and that's when they make you come in anyway. They make you wait until you're eight weeks, which is also stupid. Um, and he took me, um, he drove me down there. Um, they wouldn't let him in with me. Like he had to sit in the waiting room the whole time. Um, and at that point I had already, Originally I didn't really want to go through with it, but then I made the decision to. Um, and I had come to the point where I was like, you know, I had sat down, I had had access to Sister Zeus's website and she had talked about like releasing the spirit and da-da-da. And so I had sat down and done that and like meditated and been like, Hey, look, this is not a good time. I'm not even with your father right now. <laughs> like yeah. I'm just turning 18, um, still living with my parents. Like this is not, later. yeah. Come back later. And after I did that, I no longer felt pregnant. The nausea went away, everything. Wow. Um, the fatigue, it all went away. And so that part of the decision I was good with, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not pregnant anymore. The spirit's gone. It can come back later. Like we're good. I'm, you know, I'm set with this. Um, not that I had ever, been against it. I just had never seen myself doing it when I was younger. Sure.
0: Um, I don't think anyone sees themselves doing it until they're yeah. in a situation <laughs> where it's the right move.
1: Yeah. And so we went and that was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. Mm. Um, almost more traumatic or as traumatic as losing my son.
0: Because um, of the way you were treated? Mm-hmm. Gross,
1: man. And... It was like,
0: it was a surgical.
1: Yeah, it was. I did a surgical um, because I was like, well, I can't like go home and have a miscarriage in two days. I live with my parents. Right. And I could only be with him for the night. I told my mom I was with a friend. And in theory, uh,
0: it sounds relatively straightforward. I mean, 15 minutes, wham, bam, you know, you're there for a couple hours. And
1: yeah, I was like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be great. And they're like, yeah, we numb you. You don't feel anything. Great. Lies. (laughs) Lies. <laughs> Lies and slander. Um so I go in after I had to get, you know, the mini program shot and da-da-da. So we go in and I had to get an ultrasound. Um to confirm dates. Mm-hmm. I go in, the nurse helps me get undressed on the table, whatever. Um, and the uh this old white-haired white guy comes in. That I hadn't met at all up to that point, which I guess is pretty typical. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, he's explaining kind of what he's going to do. He's like, all right, you're going to feel a pinch. I'm going to numb your cervix. And not the whole time. That's what I was freaking out about. I was like, they're going to put a shot. They're going to put a needle in my cervix. Sure. Like, scary sounding. Like that was like, oh my God, it's going to hurt so bad. I barely felt a thing. I was yeah. like, oh, oh, that's great. Okay. You know, this is going to be great. The painful part and the traumatic part was being forcibly dilated. Mm -hmm. Um, That was, they didn't give me any other pain medicine, no, like knock you out drugs, like none of it. Um, Which in a way I'm thankful for, but um, so he numbs the cervix. I'm like, great okay, awesome. The nurse is holding my hand. Um, and then he starts dilating me and I start freaking out because it hurts so bad. And like it hurt more than pushing out a three pound baby and that I had just done like a year and a half before. Um, and So I'm, like, crying, whatever, and the nurse is trying to, like, you know, I can tell that she's starting to feel uncomfortable. Like, she's trying to, like, make me feel better. And then the doctor is just going at it, doing his thing, not saying anything to me, and starts talking to her about golf. Mm. It's like Like, the classic.
0: Yeah. Like, maybe,
1: oh, take your mind off the, what, no, like. (laughs) um,
0: Yeah, be with me here.
1: Yeah, and so that that felt really violating. Yeah, and I have compared it to sexual assault in the past, and I have been shot down by people. They're like, "How dare you compare that to birth rape? How dare you compare that to sexual assault?" And I'm like, "No, yeah." I How is it any parent. different? Yeah, like you went into the hospital to have your baby. You consented yeah, to go you, in and have you baby. You didn't go so in to get consent. raped. Yeah. Exactly. And so that was my, you know, yeah, I had consented for the procedure, but I hadn't consented to being violated and silenced
0: and, and, and not silence, acknowledged. Yeah. And
1: yeah. Um, so he leaves, he finishes and leaves. Um, the actual like DNC part, like I barely felt at all. He leaves, doesn't even say anything to me. Just is like, to the nurse is like, okay, I'm done. And like walks out. And the nurse is like still freaking out, trying to like help compose me and get me dressed and take me to the recovery room. And in the recovery room were all of these women and folks who had been in the waiting room that we had all kind of been sort of, you know, talking to each other and being like, oh, you know, your story, da da da. Totally different environment. No one is looking at anyone, sure. no one is talking to anyone. Everyone just has the same exact, like, lost blank uh, sad expression some people are crying some people are like look like they're trying to sleep and i'm just like looking around like what is happening and so that is a trauma that i am still processing um i've had training in like um home miscarriage and home abortion stuff um and had training in doing a menstrual extraction But I have not done a menstrual extraction on anyone else yet because I can't have it done to myself. Because I still had, if I even think about a cannula like coming anywhere near like my cervix, I start having an anxiety attack. Like I haven't, I've never had a pap. (laughs) Like that's how, like,
0: well, and and I think it's really important to name it as what it is, which is sexual assault because you know, we have to think about it in terms of sex because the penis isn't the problem. The, 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 the instrument that that's used to dilate the cervix isn't the problem. It's how the penis is used or it's how the instrument is used Mm -hmm. and the environment and support or lack of support and consent or lack of consent and acknowledgement and honor or lack of those things. That's what makes it either good sex or horrific abusive sex or um, a good abortion or a horrific, abusive abortion, and mm-hmm. this is this is the line of trauma or not, and mm-hmm. you know, of course, we see it as birth workers in every area of these fields, and yeah, you know, if for anyone listening who, you know, this story's freaking them out or you know, concerning them and may have an abortion in their life, like let me also say there are good abortions, and I'm mm-hmm. so sorry to you that you didn't get one with this, you know, I don't know the rest of your story Mm -hmm. yet. Um, and this is also a very common story, you know, and, and, and women feeling really silenced and really treated robotically and, um, like him not even saying anything when he leaves. That is so Mm -hmm. weird when you pull back. I mean, not even when you pull back when you're there, but you know, just to hear that it never, even though I hear these stories all the time with birth and with abortion, it, mm-hmm. it, it never doesn't blow my mind how inhumane that kind of mm-hmm. a exchange or lack of exchange is and you know i it's so important to share these stories because i know that they're really common um you know the the abortion clinics that that we work with in LA allow companions and allow abortion doulas and are super patient friendly and you meet the the provider beforehand and it's like this totally different you know mm-hmm. story um But you know, it's not like it's just like hospitals. You know, you don't know which one you're gonna get. You don't know because how do you even do that kind of homework beforehand? You're 18. Like, how do you even know to ask those questions? Or Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 40. You know, it just yeah. We don't know even. You know, it's it's uncharted territory. Um, So yeah, I ugh, my heart goes out to you. That is (laughs) ugh, it enrages me.
1: That was my. Opening of awareness to that whole side of the healthcare system, women's health, um, that part of maternity care, because that is part of maternity care. Of course. And um, that was where I was like, no, there's a different way to do this. Yeah. Um, and so that has actually, that type of work has actually been a huge part of my work as a birth worker, um, which I'll go in with my fourth and fifth pregnancy, but. Um, so there is a good abortion story at mm. the end of that. <laughs> good. Um, so five months after that, I oh, got man. pregnant again. <laughs> um, at this point, me and the same partner are officially back together. We got back together in March. I got pregnant the end of May, beginning of May, end of May. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> oh,
0: my God. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I was like, no, no way. So, um, so I did, you know, conventional maternity care, like, uh, like, uh, pregnancy prenatal care, um, at like the local women's health place. Um, some mostly midwives, a couple of doctors, but, um, that was also just kind of like this weird thing of like, oh, so this is what the care system looks like. Like, this is, this is crap. (laughs) um, you know, you're in the waiting room for an hour and you're actually in there with the care provider for five or 10 minutes. Um, no one knows who you are. They're not checking on you really. Um, So sorry, just, just
0: just to be clear with the first one, you were in the care of a home birth
1: midwife. No, um, uh, naval healthcare. Okay. Um, And was that
0: better than your third pregnancy?
1: Um, It was probably about the same, but when I was that age, I didn't know that there was something different. Mm -hmm. And by the time that I was pregnant with Ash, my second son, um, I had already started like studying into like basically my midwifery studies and like doula and, Mm -hmm. um, with him, because I had, um, preterm delivery, I was considered high risk. Um, I was 19 at the time. So I was considered high risk. Um, no, I was 18. I had him, I turned 19 and then I had him. So, um, cause he was born in February and, um, so I was still considered high risk. Um, they were giving me progesterone injections every week from 16 weeks until 32 or 35 weeks. Um, and I got a excessive amount of ultrasounds and like Doppler heart monitoring because I was in the doctor's office like every week or every two weeks. Um, and so there were dozens, um, like regular big ultrasounds. I probably had like five.
0: As if any of those tools could have even predicted a preterm labor.
1: Yeah. It's, it's because when, for the first like from sixteen to twenty four weeks, they are doing a transvaginal ultrasound to make sure oh, that the cervix yeah. isn't shortening. Yeah. Um, and then the regular ultrasounds on top of that. And then every week that I went in for a shot after sixteen weeks, they well. listened to his heart tones. Right. <laughs> so um triple whammy. Yeah. And I honestly believe that it scrambled his brain a little bit Mm -hmm. and he has some like learning troubles and he had midline defects. He had tongue tie, lip tie. Um, he had a dimple at the base of his spine. Mm. Um, and so, you know, those that can contribute to all of that. So, so can but so can what nutrition? Sure.
0: But we do know Um, that, I mean, there are many studies out there now that show that the heat from the Mm -hmm. ultrasound waves does morph cells, how much, or, you know, obviously we, we, we can't predict and there's no incentive to study this stuff, you know, but we know now, right. That ultrasounds have never been proven safe and that they, they can and do morph cells. So if people are getting them all the time, it it actually makes less
1: sense to think it wouldn't affect the baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Um, with him, I also wanted a home birth. Um, I was pushing my partner. My, he was not on board. Um, I managed to interview a underground CPM in North Carolina. Um, she was going to work with us on affordability because we were like ramen noodle poor at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to give my car back to my parents because they wouldn't pay for it and I couldn't afford it. Um, and, so they, um, you know, she was, she was going to work with us. Um, but we found her really late. Like it was, I found her through word of mouth from another doula, um, who had worked with her at a birth and who then attended her own birth. Um, and I was like 30, 32 weeks, I think when we met her. So it was really late in. Um, And that was also about the time when I met my first frontier trained CNM. That was really nice. (laughs) Um, Out of any CNMs, like that's, you know, their, their focus is home birth. And she was working in the women's health clinic, but she had that home birth mentality. And she sat me down. It was like 32 weeks. And she like looks at my chart. She was with me for like 30 minutes. And she's like, um, so tell me about your pregnancy up to this point and how have you been and how are you eating and how are your how was your first loss and da-da-da and um and what do you want for your birth? Like what's your birth plan? She was the first person up to that point to do that out of a practice that has like 25 midwives and two doctors. And um she was like, Yeah, you can labor in the shower and he can catch the baby if you want. And she's like, you know what, my favorite part is. That's my favorite part is when the dad catches the baby. And she's like, you know what, you can just be like, oh, I'm in the shower, and just not say anything when the baby comes and let him catch the baby. Like that was, that was her idea. And I was like, oh, that's great. Um, she's like, you can have intermittent monitoring instead of continuous. Um, you don't have to, you know, it's your choice to get antibiotics and da da da. So. I was like, yeah, this is looking really hopeful if I do, if I don't find a midwife and we do a hospital birth. Well, because we found the midwife so late, she was like, I need a thousand dollars by the birth. And then I'll work with you for a year to pay off the other thousand. I thought that was reasonable, but I wasn't working at the time. So he thought that wasn't possible. And I think part of it really was that he just was not on board because he was afraid of what happened the first time.
0: Of course. And if he was on board, you guys probably would have made it happen.
1: Yeah. So that – so we ended up um, having him at the hospital. And um, I went into labor after having sex.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God, girl. Um,
1: At what week? uh, 39. 39 weeks. but that whole time I would not let him like finish, yeah. um, inside. So I was like, no, like I'm still think this is a thing. Like we're yeah. not going to do that. Um, and I started, um, kind of like pre-labor stuff at like 32, 34 weeks, um, like really strong Braxton Hicks and, um, toning contractions, whatever you want to call them. Um, and just kind of periodically, And so that last night it was like four in the afternoon. We had sex. I was like, fine, go ahead. It's like, we're already, we're almost there. Mm -hmm. Like, it'll be fine. Within the hour I was in active labor. Um, but I think, you know, at that point I'd already been in pre-labor for weeks. So, um, labor started really fast, really intense, all in my back again. Um, contractions were like three to four minutes apart from the start. Um, and I kept getting up and going to the bathroom and being like, God, I have to poop. (laughs) I really feel like I have to poop. And I'm on the phone with my mom and she's like, you what?
0: Yeah. You have to do magic
1: words. (laughs) I was like, I feel like I have to poop. And she's like, go to the hospital. Yeah. Now. Um, so I had only been at home for an hour and a half. Um, well about an hour, hour and a half. It was a 30 minute drive to the hospital through base traffic at five o'clock. Um, we get to the hospital and I had him about an hour later. So it was about three and a half hours altogether. Um, they put the belt around me. They clipped the IV to me, said, you have to have antibiotics because I was GPS positive. Um, wouldn't let me get up, get in the shower. Like I just laid on the bed on Mm -hmm. my side feeling like I was going to vomit for, like, an hour, Um, just having contractions, and then I started to have, like, those, those like, your body's pushing sensations, Um, and uh, I feel the bag descend, and it pops, and um, at that point, they're like, okay, like, let's get you up off your side and get you Like they checked me and they're like, Oh, well you're going to have a baby. So we're like, okay. Um, I had wanted to be, you know, walking around. I had wanted to like be up on hands and knees or squatting. No, they put me into the typical, you know, sitting up feet in the stirrup position and they're like, okay, start pushing. And I didn't have to push. Like my body was already pushing. Um, and I had a nurse midwife, I didn't have a doctor. Um, and she, um, you know, she's coaching me. She's like, push, 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 blah, blah, blah. And as he's crowning, I can feel myself starting to tear. And I'm like, you know, telling her, I'm like, Hey, like I can feel myself tearing like that hurts. Like, and she's like, no, 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 keep pushing Keep pushing. Yeah,
0: it's supposed to hurt. We can just suture it after.
1: Yeah. And I could feel it up, like towards my clitoris, and I could feel it down. And um that is not a nice sensation at yeah. all. And um so I'm like, she's still like being really forceful with me, like push, 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 keep pushing, keep pushing, push, push, push. Oh, that is and so that point, annoying. Yeah. And at that point I am angry. Like I start yelling and I'm like, I'm effing tearing. Like, like stop, stop yelling at me. Stop telling me what to do. Like yelling at her. I'm 19 years old yelling at her. Um, Good. and she was like, no, 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 keep pushing. And so his head comes out and I'm just like, oh, Okay. That's great. Like the contractions are pausing. Like this feels great. We're just going to take a break for a second. And she's on my ass again. Push, push, push. Nope, nope. He's got to come out. Push, push, push. Now, later, after the fact, I know that he was restituting. Yeah. When the head comes out, the head turns, and then the shoulders have to do a rotation inside the body so that they can come out under the pubic arch. Didn't know that at the time but I was not afraid. I was like, he's fine. Like he'll come out. Um, and she's yelling at me at this point. Push, push, push. So the contractions kind of start up again. So I'm pushing not even a minute had gone by and, um, and he comes out. So he comes out, she puts him on, on my stomach. Um, At that point, like, the adrenaline is kicking in, um, and, like, he didn't even have the cord around his neck, like, nothing was wrong, like, she was just, he's not coming, push, push, like, um, and I'm like, it's, like, the anatomy and the physiology, like, it was fine, (laughs) um, and so, at that point, like, I'm shaking, like, really, really bad, um, and I'm terribly cold all of a sudden and, um, I'm like holding him and he's crying and there's like blood all over me. And like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I've never actually gotten to hold the baby right away. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and so she, um, goes to, uh, um, I feel her start tugging on the cord and she's like, and not even like five minutes or so had gone by and she's already tugging on my placenta. And so she's tugging on it, and she's like, push a little bit. So I'm like, okay, I guess. And so the placenta comes out. Um, they took him. She's like, well, I need to stitch you. And I was like, well, I'm shaking, like, horribly, and I'm already terrified. Now I have to get stitches. Um, so I let them take him over to get, like, his feet done and kind of wiped up and whatever, thinking that they would bring him back to me after she was done stitching. She's not done stitching yet. She had to do like 20 some or so stitches in my perineum. And she stitched me too tight. Um, it's called a husband stitch. They do a little extra one to make you a little bit tighter again. Mm. My husband is not small. Gross. And it hurt to have sex until he was about two. Yeah. And then it finally kind of quit hurting. <laughs>
0: Did she say anything about the husband nope. stitch when she was doing nope. it?
1: <laughs> no, nope. she's just like oh, I had to do a lot of stitches. I had to do like twenty or so, and uh. because so... I've, I've been
0: in birthing rooms where usually it's a man stitching says, <laughs> you know, to the father, "I'm going to throw an extra stitch in there for you," and they're like, "Oh."
1: And then they actually do it and, and then they actually do yeah. it. Um, ugh. yeah. So, so I hadn't, I didn't know about that until I told my friend about it and she's like, Oh yeah, they call it a husband stitch.
0: When it's stitched, when it's and over, overstitched.
1: stitched, over stitched. Yeah. They did it to her too. And, um, they, uh, they ended up taking him to like the nursery while she's still finishing up. Um, and then because I couldn't feel anything because of the numbing medication, I was like, I need to pee, but I can't feel to, like, pee. And so they gave me a bedpan, and I couldn't tell if I was peeing or not. Um, And it went everywhere, and I already had blood on me. So I was like, well, I need a shower now. So I yeah. take a shower. And my, my partner was texting me, and he's like, they're getting mad that you're taking too long. Like, they want to finish up with him. They want to give him a bath. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, tell them to wait. <laughs> like... Um, so I finally get in there. They don't even let us bathe him. Um, they, we had to stand there and watch as they bathed him. And then instead of giving him to us, they stuck him in the incubator for like 15, 20 minutes. And they're like, oh, we'll bring him to you in the room and like shoo us out the door. So at this point, it's almost 11 o'clock at night. I had him at almost eight thirty, and, um, they finally brought him. He wouldn't nurse. Um, we missed our whole golden hour, um, after he was born. Um, he wouldn't nurse the next morning. Like we were still undecided about circumcision. Um, the next morning they're like, well, if you want it done, you have to take him. They have to take him now. Um, cause I wanted to wait until he was like a week old so that the vitamin K and the blood clotting was all good. Um, cause I knew at least that much. And I was like, well, if we do it, I want to wait at least a week. They're like, well, you have to do it now if you're going to do it. And we were like, oh, God, like, we didn't know that we could have just waited or not done it. Um, So they took him. Wasn't even 24 hours old. Mm. Hadn't nursed yet. Still hadn't nursed yet. And this whole time I've been asking for a lactation consultant, by the way. Um, So they take him to get circumcised. I was like, well, go with them. Like, because my aunt, who was an RN and told me about the, the bleeding and stuff, she, her husband had gone with their sons. I was like, well, you need to at least go with him. And they're like, oh, no, he can't come with. So we were like, oh, you know. So they bring him back, like, two hours later. He has his first meconium poop after he was circumcised. And I'm, like, bawling my eyes out, um, you know, freaking out. Like, I did this to him. Like, I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible mom. Like, I did this to him. And that's still a trauma that I carry around. Sure. and now I'm gonna cry. <laughs> it's okay. I understand. Um. So, um, still asking for lactation consultant. Still asking for lactation consultant. Finally, like five thirty at night. That like that night, he finally nurses for the first time. Um, and we had a rocky, rocky road oh, breastfeeding. I bet. Um, I suspected a lip tie, had no idea about the tongue tie, never got either of them looked at or dealt with. um, And I just pushed through it. Um, And we did end up nursing until he was three. Um, But at the time, you know, I didn't know that it could have been easier. It could have been not painful. Um, I didn't know that I had severe postpartum depression and had it for almost a year. Um, I started to feel better one day. I was like, oh, something was terribly, terribly wrong. Hmm. Um, How old is he now? He will be six in February. Okay. Um, and we actually have, I mean, he loves me, and I obviously love him as his mom, but I also feel like there's this wall between us. Like, we never really solidified our bond. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's something...
0: There's real hormonal gaps that occur Mm -hmm. and you don't get those back Mm -mm. and that's so sad. And there's other ways of bonding, of course, and you breastfed Mm -hmm. for three years and you you obviously did so much other stuff, but physiologically the gaps of being separated after birth, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's no joke.
1: Yeah, like I had I would post on Facebook about it when he was like six months old, a year old, like be like, What's wrong with me? Like I don't wanna be with my baby. Like mm. part of it too, I was depressed, but um I was like, you know, I I feel like there's not this connection that I think should be there. And people would be like, Oh, you know, just baby wear and co sleep and breastfeed I'm like, Yeah, that's all shit we've been doing. Of course. Like since he was born. Um, well, it makes it
0: makes me think of um, you know how growing up like your people will be like if a bird falls out of a nest don't touch it because if mm-hmm. the mom smells another scent it won't mother the young like we mm-hmm. see all these examples in nature where when there is a unnatural separation of mm-hmm. mother and young
1: they'll shit, abandon her. shit
0: goes weird. And, yeah. it's, and it goes off and, you know, that the mothers would be, become disinterested or, you know, whatever it is. And then we like mm-hmm. balk that we could be like that with all of the c yeah. and interventions and circumcisions or separation. And it's just like, it's so obvious, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, what would happen if we acknowledged it? We'd actually have to change our practices.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's, that's still something that I kind of struggle with. And I thought that maybe like having Rowan unassisted um, or even just whether unassisted or assisted of just having her naturally and not getting that separation time that, you know, I would be bonding with her. But if he was there, I thought that maybe he would get like residual. Like I would also maybe could get that bond back with him. And I don't, I don't think it works that way. Like I had hoped, um, but it's, it didn't. I think at that point the damage was done. Um, and you know, I love him. Like I would lose my mind if anything ever happened to him, but it's, it's not the same. Like, I don't feel the same way about him that I do about her. Um, and it's really interesting, um, and sad, but, um, so, But it's
0: not, that whole, I think it's mm-hmm. just so important, you're already doing it, but to really point to like the physiology of this, this isn't, mm-hmm. you know, because of course we're in a culture where like, you're not supposed to say that stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, I'm sure that, you know, you've gotten the whole spectrum of responses when you, when yep. you share that, you know, but the reality is the physiology of bonding hormonally was disrupted and that causes disconnection. It just does. And Mm -hmm. all you're doing is acknowledging what has been proven in every way, shape or form. Um, and, and, you know, because we're not supposed to talk about it, it's, I'm, I'm proud of you for doing that because I know that there's someone listening right now who, had C-sections with, you know, one or two or three other babies and then did it with another and is feeling similarly, you know, or, or, you know, obviously it's not just C-sections because that wasn't your story, but, um, had separation, yeah. you know, and, and don't have a place to say it and feel horrible for feeling that way. But, you know, we're not, by talking about it, we can really get to the root of it, which is mm-hmm. the system failed. You guys, you yeah. had forced an unnecessary separation And it caused quite likely a lifelong gap of some sort, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's lots of ways to, of course, like work on it and be together and love and all of that stuff. But yeah, it's important to acknowledge because I think it's way more common than, you know, I mean, you are obviously already know this because you're in the birth world. Like it just, it happens all the time.
1: Yeah. Um, And it was, it was kind of comical because it was like day two because, um, you know, I had him so fast after they, they gave me antibiotics for GBS. And because I had him so fast, um, they have to be in your system for four hours for it to do anything. And I had him like an hour later. And so they made us stay for 48 hour observation. And by the second day, my partner, he's like, I got to get out of here. I don't want to be here. I just want us to go home. And I'm like, you're the one who wanted to be here. (laughs) Um, so yeah. So you know, and, and really like all of these experiences, like losing my first son and, um, you know, having the clinical abortion and then having like my pregnancy releases at home after Ash was born and having Ash and having Rowan, like all of these experiences have just been to me like initiations, basically, um, to this work. And I've had other people kind of echo that without me having to, like, say anything um, that I've it, talked to you about it. Yeah, and to the, like, the
0: heartache that it is to be a woman and a, and a birthing mm-hmm. woman and a fertile woman and the way mm-hmm. that society oppresses and abuses us, you know. And yeah. It's, ugh, God.
1: And how to, how to show up, you know, I've, I've never agreed with the whole idiom that, like, oh, you can't be a midwife if you've never had a baby. Like, I don't necessarily agree with that. But I also think that there is something to having an experience before showing up for someone else who's also had that experience, um, that, that just kind of adds something to it. Like,
0: well, it can go either way, right? It can can go either way because I think a lot of birth workers are very colored by their births in Mm -hmm. a, in a not helpful way. Yeah. You know, and because the variety of experience is so massive, Mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like not having experienced birth really made me more of an empty cup.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I think on, on to your point, I think having had whatever your experience is, if you can take it there, it's incredibly humbling. And there's a, there's a maturity. I think once you've walked through it that you, you can't touch if you haven't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's, yeah. let's pivot a little bit towards, Rowan's birth and, and how, how long after Ash's birth was that? And obviously Um, you had a really rough year. So what kind of led you, I mean, it's pretty obvious what led you to free birth. I (laughs) wouldn't freaking go back either, but you know what I mean? What, tell me, talk, speak about that Um, journey.
1: So having a couple years, um, between Ash and Rowan, I got pregnant two more times. Um, and um, I was like, well, we don't want another baby right now. I'm not going back to the clinic at this point. I have studied enough, um, to know that there is alternatives. Um, and I was like, you know, I already believe in having babies at home. Why can't I do this at home? Um, and so I had two herbal plus medication, um, self-induced pregnancy releases at home that were super healing. Um, they were hard of course, but they were super healing for me. Um, and they were also learning experiences for me. Um, you know, I learned things that I didn't know from, from my book studies, um, that I could then take on to help other people. And, um,
0: and so they were, they were medical abortions. Like you took the pills.
1: Um, I started with herbs. Um, I, successfully ended both pregnancies with herbs um, but did not induce bleeding with herbs. And the first time, ash was only like a year and a half, so I was still pretty actively breastfeeding, and I couldn't take any of the stronger herbs, Mm. um, particularly the estrogenic herbs um, because they do pass through the breast milk and can affect um, uh, the nursling. So um, with both, I... Um, ended up taking my um, which is the the mifepristone, is what they give you in the doctor's office, and they're like, "This is what ends the pregnancy," um, and then they send you home with the miso to take twenty four to forty eight hours later to expel um, the contents of the uterus. So, how did um, you get the miso? Um, I have, uh, like healthcare type of people in my network that do this work, nice. um, that I've trained with to do this work. Um, that's like kind of well. under
0: the table, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they can legally obtain it. Right. It's just a weird kind of gray mm-hmm. area, you know, on God forbid as,
0: we had access yeah. to it on our own will.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it, it's an over the counter drug in totally. every foreign country. Totally. <laughs> totally. Um, <clears throat> so, a really close friend and colleague of mine, um, who was working with me through both of these and who I've studied with, um, you know, was there for me and, and I was at home and was supported by my partner in doing it. He had, you know, same partner. And he was like, you know, this is your choice. Like, I'm not, he's like, yeah, we shouldn't have another baby right now, but this is, it's your choice. Um, so you've, you've been
0: with this guy since you were like 14,
1: uh, 15.
0: Wow. Crazy. Yep. Um, so you
1: have two minus like the year we were broken up. Right.
0: So you have two medical slash herbal home terminations.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that was when I started using the term pregnancy release, which if you ever see that around, I was the one that started that. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I've, see it a lot now, like in little circles and I like that people are starting to use it. And to me, that was to include miscarriage, abortion Mm -hmm. at home or in a clinic, you know, term loss, whatever, um, without the stigma and, um, and also the political.
0: Yeah. And back in the day, I mean, some women still say this, but yeah, back in the day, women used to just call it bringing their periods on. Mm-hmm. you know, we're bringing their yep. cycles on
1: inducing menses. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the uh, same. Yeah. So, so you have um, two
0: powerful experiences with pregnancy release yeah.
1: at home. Um, and then I got pregnant and, and part of a really big part of those is I was very involved with ceremony, um, with both experiences. Um, I have a very active spiritual practice. Um, I'm pagan and, uh, So the whole thing was steeped in ceremony. Um, And the second one, I was like, hey, look, like spirits, ancestors, like God's people that I work with, like, can you just hold on to this little light beam a little bit longer, please? Like, um, I really want to bring this baby in when it's like, I, you know, they come when they come but I was like, you know, I really want this situation to be, I want to be homesteading. I want to be like, you know, have our own little place. And, you know, I want to be in that, you know, where I can be eating really well and, um, really dedicate to this pregnancy and be where I have the right people with me. If I, you know, at the time I thought that I was just like, no, I'm just going to have a home birth. Like, you know, I was like, "I, I want this to be in place. Right. So do the thing. Six months later, I put out a little seed to the universe and I'm like, hey, I'm looking to move to Oregon. Does somebody have like a place we can set up a yurt or whatever? Someone contacts me that I was an acquaintance with in Southern Oregon. She was a nurse midwife and she was like, I need a caretaker for my house for a year. So within a week of us entertaining the idea of moving to her one acre homestead in Southern Oregon. I found out I was pregnant. Well, I guess I got pregnant. And then like a week later found out I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So funny little universe thing. Um, and so that was basically like, I was like, yeah, well, you know, we can't keep staying in our situation and have this baby. So we have to move. (laughs) And so we moved cross country when I was, um, oh, well at that point I was, I had already done my midwifery, like, my didactic schooling, not like the apprenticeship stuff. But, um, and I was like, yeah, at this point I don't even need, like, I don't even really need a midwife. Like, I'm pretty sure that we've got this. Like, um, and I was like, I can do my own prenatal care way better than what I've been receiving. Um, and so, I got a proof of pregnancy right before we left and I went to get my hospital records from when I had ash found out that they had given me Pitocin for third stage management, which they hadn't told me that they had done. I was super angry about, which can also affect bonding. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, and so we went, um, we moved and I just, I was in early pregnancy, I was swimming pretty often, I was doing yoga pretty often, I was eating okay until we moved and then I was eating really well for like the rest of the pregnancy um, because we had a lot of access to, you know, organic foods and fresh produce and this and that while we were in Oregon that we don't really have here. Um, There were a couple things that came up while I was pregnant that I just asked like other student midwives or like midwife friends about just to get their thoughts on it, not to be like, oh, do I need to do this or da-da-da. Just to see what they thought and what resonated or didn't with me. Um and I did have, um I was apprenticing at a birth center for a little while and um while I was pregnant before they had me go on maternity leave. And I did have um my preceptor um just palpate just to make sure that there was one baby. Um, cause I didn't want to surprise twin cause I didn't get any ultrasounds the whole time I was pregnant with her. Um, and then, um, there was one point where I got a really bad sunburn and there was one day that my legs swelled really bad. Um, and that kind of worried me. Um, my blood pressure was fine. Um, but I was just like, what is going on with the swelling of the legs? Well, the sunburn finally peeled and was a really wet peel and all the fluid came out. (laughs) Um, so that was interesting. Um, and the whole time that I was pregnant, I just kept coming back to hemorrhage. Um, and it wasn't a fear. It wasn't like, Oh God, like, uh, what if I hemorrhage, I'm going to die. Like it wasn't this, it wasn't a fear-based thing. So the way that I've had it explained to me is that if it just occurs to you and it's not based in fear, that it's your intuition. It's when it's based in fear that it's usually something external that's, you know, giving you this, this impression or this, this idea, this fear. And so I just kept coming back to, it, I'm like, yeah, well, this may or may not be part of my reality. So I'm just going to prepare for it just in case like breach didn't bother me. Like none of, none of the other stuff that people would normally like worry quote unquote about. I even, I was like, eh, like it's fine. Um, but with the hemorrhage, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure about this. Um, and it was pretty strong. Like it was so strong that I had two separate people who I hadn't spoken to about it, say something to me and be like, I just am getting this weird feeling. This, this thought is occurring to me not trying to push this on you, but have you considered a postpartum hemorrhage? And I was like, yep. Yeah, I have actually. (laughs) Um, one of whom was the midwife whose house we were staying at. And one of whom was, um, a friend of mine who's also a midwifery student. Um, she's one of my best friends and she just, she just messaged me one day and was like, Hey, this just occurred to me. So,
0: um, so take me, take me to the, to the birth.
1: So I have pre-labor again for a few weeks, starting like 34 ish weeks or so. Um, just pretty strong toning contractions and, um, you know, body getting ready. And I went into labor, um, the day after the autumn equinox, um, the lady who owned the house was gone. She had gone to the coast for the night and I had not wanted her to be there at all. Like even on the premises for the birth, <laughs> Um, she had a really bad energy and we had been fighting. She had tried to kick us out when I was like 35 weeks pregnant, um, had tried to tell us we couldn't have our free birth there. Um, cause she thought we would hold her liable mm. if something happened. So I went into labor like 5:30 in the morning. Um, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is it. Um, I just kind of went with it for like 30 minutes or so, but I was afraid because my first birth had been five and a half hours. My second birth had been Three and a half hours, I was like, oh god, this one's gonna be like 45 minutes or something, um, which I didn't really want. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll wake him up. So we had planned a outside birth. Um, we had spent weeks setting up my Lavu, which is a Scandinavian teepee like structure. Um, and so I sent him outside to start, you know, start a fire and because it was kind of chilly. Late September. Um, And so I went outside, we left my son sleeping in the house for a while. And, um, I went outside and was just laboring for a while. And it was so easy compared to like the other two. I didn't have the back labor. The contractions were moderately spaced. Um, they weren't right on top of each other. Like the other ones had been. Um, and Um, for the most part, like I didn't really feel the need to have anyone with me. Um, and Sean was just kind of in and out, um, you know, collecting firewood. We had greatly underestimated how much firewood we would need. (laughs) FYI for anyone planning an outside fire birth, um, have too much firewood. And, um, at about, seven, eight o'clock, we went and got my son out of the house and I was really undecided on whether I wanted him there or not. Um, cause I was like, Oh, he's going to be bouncing around. He's going to be distracting. And, mm-hmm. but he did really, really well. Um, every once in a while he would get kind of bored. And so he would just go help his dad to like collect firewood. Um, and the other kind of keynote thing for my labor was I drummed, mm. um, shamanic drumming. Um, with every contraction, and I thought it was a fluke. I was like, oh well you know i'll just i'll just not drum for this next contraction and see how it feels halfway through the contraction, I had to start drumming again um, i don't know what it is i don't know what it was, but that was my pain management that was keeping me in that that brainwave state, that deep delta totally. that's
0: amazing, uh, that makes so much sense."
1: Yeah. It was like, I drummed for five hours, (laughs) um, between contractions and I didn't really, I didn't get up and walk around. I didn't really want to do that. Um, and I, when we first went outside, I had like made my offerings to like the land spirits that were there and like the, you know, the goddess Brigid that I was working with that whole pregnancy and, um, uh, And then, you know, went inside and then I basically stayed there until everything was done. Um, and I was on hands and knees, mostly just rocking. And, um, there was, um, there was a point probably about what would have been transition, um, where I kind of like started to panic a little bit and was like, oh God, this is really intense. And it was all in my back for a second. Um, and that was the first point that I had my partner come over and actually touch me. Um, and I was like, I need you to, like, do the hip squeeze and, like, rub my back. Um, it's pretty intense and it hurts right now. Um, and I'm kind of freaking out. And, um, you know, every once in a while my son would be like, is mommy okay? And he's like, yeah, mommy's okay. Your, your baby sibling's coming, you know. And he was really good about it and really quiet um, and just watched for most of the time. Um, and, you know, I had him behind me leaning into him and he was doing the hip squeeze and stuff and then that lasted a few minutes and then um she uh I started to feel um the the pushing urges and so my body was just pushing on its own and I was on my knees and I actually had the fetal ejection reflex um And I popped up onto like a, I think they call it a running lunge where you're like on one knee and then the other knee is up like on the foot. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just popped up into that and was like, Oh, like (laughs) that little bit of adrenaline hits you and the baby's coming. Um, and she starts to crown and I've got, you know, like my hands, um, between my, between my legs and, um, I start kind of freaking out a little bit that I'm going to tear and I'm like, Oh God, I don't want to tear. I don't want to tear. Cause I could feel it kind of burning. Um, and so that was kind of freaking me out. And then I was, you know, huffing through her, um, crowning her head comes out and I can feel she's got a cord over her shoulder and I wait for her to restitute. And then as she kind of, like turns and starts to come out, I like popped the umbilical cord off over her shoulder. Mm -hmm. Um, and she slid out. (laughs) Um, and I'm just like holding her down on the ground, like looking at her and I'm just like, baby, baby, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and my partner was the one that saw, um, that, um, she was a girl and, um, I was like, it's a girl. And, um, he's just kind of sitting there like with a towel, like, do I hand this to you? Like, what do you want me to do? Um, and then I just kind of gradually like leaned back over onto my little pallet. And the whole time I had been on this, um, deer skin. And so, um, some of like the blood kind of came off the Chuck's pad and got onto the deer skin and I think it's still stained. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, so I kind of leaned back over onto the palette and, um, bring her up to my breast and she was just kind of calm, like not really freaking out anymore. And, um, she was pinking up and she was pretty purple, which is good. And then she was pinking up really well. Um, and, um, I have mixed babies. So this, the coloring is a little bit different than with just white babies, but it was a really healthy color and, um, they, uh, after maybe 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes, she latched. Um, and the placenta still wasn't coming. And I was having little gushes, um, every so often. And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and the whole time I had been pregnant and being like, okay, like I'm preparing for postpartum bleed. Um, I had, been taking nettle. I had been taking alfalfa in the last month. I had been taking red raspberry leaf, um, grass fed beef liver capsules periodically every few days or so for most of the pregnancy, um, was, you know, making sure that my diet was really well was upping those blood building, um, herbs and things like that. And then at the very end, like the last couple weeks, I started taking chlorophyll, liquid chlorophyll, um, and really a lot of nettle. Mm-hmm. Um, nettle is my go-to for everything. Like anyone drink nettle tea all the time. <laughs> um, and I had a, like a whole postpartum hemorrhage kit. I had everything from homeopathics to herbs, to misoprostol, which is what most midwives use at home for hemorrhage, um, I did not have pitocin. I had a midwife friend who could have gotten me a shot of pitocin, but I didn't want that. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: And, um, and I was like, if it gets to that point that the misoprostol doesn't work, I need to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And but I had everything. I had written out how to do a bimanual compression and gone over it with my partner um, like had done the whole everything. Um, and so shortly after she was born, I was like, eh, I don't really like this bleeding. Like it wasn't like copious amounts of blood, but it would be a decent gush every like five or 10 minutes. Um, and I was like, the placenta's not coming. Like after the first two, it came out in like five minutes, but I had gotten pitocin management, so and the the
0: doctor <laughs> pulled it out with ash, yeah, and he did traction. So, yeah, so you um, haven't had a normal third stage yet.
1: Mm-hmm. So that was a whole new experience for me. I didn't know what I knew that for my pregnancy releases at home that retained tissue was typical for me. That's happened twice, but I think that's just my body. Um, and I dealt with it at home both times, but. So, with her postpartum, she was nursing. I skipped homeopathics and I went right to, um, I think I did blue cohosh tincture. And I took like two dropperfuls um, before the placenta came. And then I took one or two dropperfuls after the placenta finally came. Um, the placenta took like 40, 45 minutes. Um, and I didn't. Like I would kind of like sit up and kind of pull on it just a little bit to see like has it completely detached and I can just pull it out now or mm-hmm. is it still there? And um and it just stayed there for a while. Um and uh and eventually it came out with like a pretty big gush. And but I I never felt woozy, I never felt shocky, I never went white, I never, you know, had any of those types of symptoms that would be, um, adverse. So, um,
0: and it was just you and your partner. So did you feel, um, like was he kind of in charge of, I'm trying to think how to ask this question. Like obviously you can monitor yourself up to a point, Mm -hmm. but at some point with, with hemorrhage in particular, you know, you can kind of like feel like you're leaving your body and, and get that, you know, it would be harder to communicate that. Was your partner pretty with it to be like noticing all of that? And, and yeah, I don't really know how to ask the question. I'm, I I think you get what I'm saying.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Cause like we didn't do fetal heart tones during labor. We didn't do blood pressure during labor. Like we didn't do any of that. So, um, it was basically just kind of like a, Hey, just kind of look out for me. If I'm like, if I look at you and be like, this is a lot of blood, Mm -hmm. like, you know, he was going to be on top of that. Um, or just for him to realize like, Oh, she's fainting (laughs) like, or, you know, she went white, like those, those kinds of things, um, which none of that happened. And it was a decent amount of blood, but I think because I was healthy, because I had done a lot with nutrition in, um, and building my blood while I was pregnant, I, a a lot of women just lose a lot of blood right at the birth instead of in the postpartum. Mm -hmm. That's just how their body does it. Um, and if you've really, you know, built up your blood volume, it's not really a concern. Um, it's when you have a really not expanded blood volume. Mm -hmm. If you lose a lot of blood, like you're done, like you need a transfusion, like, um, and that's why hemorrhage is such an issue with um, with abortions or miscarriage, because you haven't reached that point yet where your blood volume expands, so you can't lose that much blood. Two cups in a miscarriage is like you're in the hospital getting a transfusion, whereas two cups at birth, if you're a healthy mom, might not be an issue. Totally. Um, and I never weighed it. I never measured any of it, um, so I don't know how much it actually was, but... Um, And so I just, I took my blue cohosh just twice and then the placenta finally came. And after that, um, it was like after 11 in the morning, she came, we didn't get her exact time of birth. We totally forgot about that. Um, we got her time. Like we guesstimated a time like five minutes after she was born. Um, so I was like, great. Now her astrology chart's going to be off forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, um, we just put it on her birth certificate as 10:36 because um that's kind of a number for us. Um I was born at 4:36 in the morning. Uh Emmerich was born at 9:36 in the morning. Uh Ash was born at 8:26 at night, and I think if she hadn't been so adamant about pushing, he would have been born at 8:36. Um so we so we said 10:36 for her, which mm-hmm. might have just been off a couple of minutes and um so we went in the house and I drank coconut water. Um you know, to hydrate again. And I rested and I made sure that I was getting up every like 30 minutes to use the bathroom to get clots out and keep my bladder empty. Um, you know, to prevent late, late postpartum hemorrhage and, um, and ate a little bit. And, um, she slept for like three hours the first time after she was born. Mm. Uh, Like, I don't know what to do with myself. (laughs) Like Ash, he slept for an hour. Would wake up for 10 minutes, sleep for an hour until he was like six months old. Mm. Um, and she's like, nope, I can sleep like two and a half hours, peachy king. Um and so in the postpartum, like a couple days after she was born, I was pretty weak. Um, I never got shocky, you know, I never did any of that. And the bleeding like slowed down a lot um after like my my postpartum Lokia bleeding um, was like moderate, like period, like, um, occasional clots. And, um, yeah, I just kept up the, the regimen that I had been doing up to the birth. I kept doing for like two or three weeks after the birth to Smart. help build my blood back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was doing it like every day. Um, so like a tablespoon of liquid chlorophyll and, you know, the nettle and the red raspberry leaf, um, tea, um, well, infusion and, um, taking um I ate a little bit of my placenta every couple days um or like three times I had it in like smoothies um I didn't like turn it into capsules or anything I was going to but I never had time um so we gave it when we moved again when she was 6 months old we gave it to the headwaters of the Sacramento River at Mount mm. Shasta um That's so that sweet. was that was kind of cool so hmm. yeah and she's now 2 <laughs> wow
0: Wow. What a journey. <laughs> so how do you feel having, you know, let's say at this point, being two years out of your most recent birth experience and obviously your most positive and how, how do you kind of encapsulate this whole experience as, as it is a part of your life
1: today? Um, I definitely feel that it changed the way that I want to practice as a birth worker. Um, now I am very into educating about the option of free birth, um, and giving, you know, this quote unquote midwifery education back to, um, birthing people and families because it's theirs. It's not midwives. It's not doctors. Um, I've, um, you know, I really want to have like someday when I have like my own little homestead thing going on, I want to have like a free birth sanctuary where people can come have a space. And if they want to bring a midwife for another like traditional birth attendant or not, that's up to them, but it's just an autonomous birthing space for them. And I get to nourish them with like traditional foods and support them however they want me to. That's kind of where I'm at as like being a midwife now. (laughs) Um, and really wanting to work with people like prenatally and preconception and, um, so that it really shifted that whole, like my whole career and everything. Um, and as a mom, you know, it, it just kind of brought me full circle in like midwifing myself through all of these experiences. Um, and really like, which I actually wrote an article for the last edition of squat birth journal called midwifing myself, um, that has this whole kind of story woven into it. Um, And it, uh, you know, it realizing, you know, after her, I didn't have postpartum depression. I had this bond with her that I didn't have with my son, like, um, really feeling physically, emotionally, spiritually, the impact in these different types of births. Um, and, and even leading up to her birth, I, there was a friend of mine who is also a birth keeper that I had really wanted there for the birth. This is to be as a, like another birthing woman or like birth woman supporting me as a birthing woman, but also just to kind of, you know, like eh, keep an eye out. And cause she's also studied as a midwife and, and she ended up at the very last minute, not being able to come. So it was kind of like this. I was like, you know, I don't need her there, but I'd really like her to be there, you know, sure. kind of thing. And, but I think really that, you know, I needed that for, for it to just be us and to just be me. Um, because I, I really was able to come into my full autonomy and sovereignty and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, round the full circle, um, to reclaim all of the, all the different things that had been taken from me from all these other experiences. Um,
0: beautifully said.
1: So, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Powerful. But then also having, you know, the experience of, you know, in trying to finish my midwifery education, like how my experience is shaping that and affecting preceptors who want to work with me or, you know, how I can work with them with that experience, um, has also been interesting to navigate
0: because so many midwives are not supportive of autonomous birth.
1: Mm -hmm. Basically anyone who's, not trained through like the matrona or indie birth. (laughs) Um, I mean, of course there are other like midwives out there and, um, I haven't met all of them for sure, but, um, I've definitely, I've had two experiences where one midwife was like, you can work with me, but you under no circumstance can tell any of my clients that you've had a free birth or an unassisted birth because I don't want them to make a quote unquote unsafe decision like you did. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then very recently had another midwife, um, who she was like, you know, basically saying that she wouldn't have wanted, she wasn't taking students, um, at the time, but she was like basically insinuating that she wouldn't have wanted to work with me because we have different philosophy about unassisted birth and free birth. Um, that that is too big of a thing for her for it to eat for it because it would it would matter for her. and, well, I was like, and well, it, yeah, you, you don't.
0: Know. But you don't. You wouldn't want a preceptor like that if that is fundamentally true. Then you know, good riddance because you don't mm-hmm. want to learn from somebody who believes that you know regulated midwifery with its serious limitations and interferences mm-hmm. is the only way. And is the safest way, you know, it's a a way and I totally can honor that, but any, you know, I mean, I've spoken to quite a few regulated midwives who very openly acknowledge the limitations of their license and it hurts them Mm -hmm. and it hurts, you know, it's not easy for them. They're very aware of, you know, um, the ways in which they cannot stand with women and, you know, they still choose it because they feel like. They can just do what they can and, and they'll serve as many women as they can that fit within the margins of the state's, you know, um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, requirements and, um, they have to feed their family and it's too dangerous to be unregulated. And, you know, they, I get that, you know, I don't, I don't think I could make that choice, but I, I get it. It's a lot to ask, you know, it's, it's a lot for a woman in this society to, be like, no, I'm going to stand with women no matter what. And it is Mm -hmm. risky. And we have, you know, we, we are in a society where it is risky to stand with women and to, you know, to put, to put, to put birth keeping first, you know, in the, in, because we know it's a witch hunt. We know midwives go to jail. We know that death can occur Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's the modern day witch hunt as of course, you know,
1: And I, and I think that for me, both as a free birthing mom and as a birth keeper working with families is that no other person can take responsibility for the outcome of your birth. And one of the like teachings of my middle free school and, um, the matrona and, um, all of that is that you cannot dictate the, Direction that someone else's life is going to take, you can't control what their transformation looks like. Um, you know, you're going to go through life however you're going to go through life. If you're meant to have a C-section with that baby, then that's what's gonna. That's you know, you you're supposed to learn something from that or gain something from that in some way. Positive for some people, negative for some people, but. Cause had I don't people, know. I, know I, I,
0: I would have to say my departure there happens in, in any sort of uh, any sort of implication of like providence, like that there is some meant to, you know, it's cause we mm-hmm. have to be really careful with that language because then, you know, then the, the raped woman or the woman who has obstetrical violence or the woman yeah. who, you know, was cut without consent, what she needed that. No, she didn't need that. She right. dealt with it and moved on because women are survivors, but, um, and, and I'm not saying in any way, shape or form, you were implying that of course, um but I think we have to be really, really careful with the language of the way that we kind of pacify hard experiences or, or situations that shouldn't have fucking happened, like Mm -hmm. the mistreatment of your little baby or the, um, mistreatment of every woman, you know, in, in obstetrics or, or the C-section unnecessary C-sections. But, but to your larger point, I, I do agree with the larger point that you were making. Um, you know, that we, yeah,
1: like, like, like not so much like, you know, divine providence or, you know, that you can't choose your own destiny or whatever, but also a lot of people, you know, they don't consider, you know, what is the baby's path? Like what is their destiny? What is, you know, what is their life experience supposed to be like? Or, you know, we, we can't know that. Like, and, and that, I guess that's kind of like the point is that you can't know what another person's life path is. Yeah. And And so you can't take responsibility for it. Totally. Oh, it's such a tricky line. Yeah, like in the same way of, you know, as a mom, like I'm taking responsibility for my birth, but at the same, it's this, um, um, it's a paradox. Right, exactly. That, you know, I'm taking responsibility for my birth. I'm not putting responsibility for it on a midwife or an obstetrician or a friend or whatever, or on my husband. Um, But at the same time, I am allowing space for another human being's destiny to unfold through my body mm-hmm. however that's going to look and that kind of comes back to the whole you know yeah sometimes there are instances where a baby dies where something could have been done but there's also a lot of instances where they there was nothing that could be done mm-hmm. and, and it's more
0: the social narrative that if you're at the hospital yeah. they did everything and if you're at home they could irresponsible. saved your baby like
1: yeah, yeah. Um, but babies die in the hospital all the time. They just don't talk about it. And, you know, doctors don't go to jail for it, but midwives do. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that was part of our thing with, you know, deciding like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to have a free birth was whatever happens is going to happen. Like, yeah, we're going to do our best to make sure it's a good, positive outcome. And if we feel the need to like seek outside assistance, but at the same time with like boundaries, Say like when I, when I mentioned earlier, before we started the recording of like, you know, what happens if I have another preterm birth? Well, at what point do we transfer? At what point do we stay home? Um, and even when I was like, well, if it's before 32 weeks, we'll transfer that the catch to that, the boundary was that they will not take my baby away from me in the hospital. So like those kinds of like, you know, things like that. Yeah. Boundaries. Totally. And I think whether you're choosing to have a birth in a hospital or with a midwife at home or just by yourself in a field with a baby deer, like um, that those are all things that you have to think about and really be like, no, like this is, this is our birth and this is, you know, we're not looking to put, if something untoward happens, it's sometimes it is someone else's fault. I allow space for that. But also not being like, oh, well, it's their complete responsibility to make right. sure that That's it insane. That's or, insane. You know.
0: That's not a real thing. And that's, I mean. And I know a
1: lot of people who think that. Well, yeah. Whether that's, consciously
0: or unconsciously. It's the litigious society <laughs> that we live in, you know, that, that also says doctors are God. And mm-hmm. so when there's a good outcome, they get praised. Not the woman or the woman's yeah. body or the baby. And when there's a bad outcome you know, it's a big deal and it's, yeah, they don't go to jail, but it's still a big deal. Like there's still mm-hmm. malpractice suits and everything just gets settled out of court and, and, and be out, outside of the public eye. But, you know, they're, they're definitely, there is no room in our society for doctors to make mistakes or acknowledge <laughs> mistakes or, uh, you know, I mean, hopefully they're learning from their mistakes, but typically we yeah. see a more and more conservative, higher intervention um, response to, you know, to an OB that has a negative outcome. But again, it's not the, the, the larger commentary is that it's not the doctor, you know, if, if a baby just dies, um, as, as they do, um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, and, and if it was just going to happen, you know, it, it was going to happen anywhere, just like it does at home. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is where the conversation to me gets really interesting because, you know, I, I feel like, and like what you're saying is all we can, do is learn ourselves and trust ourselves and create the safest environment that we as the mothers feel intuitively. Mm -hmm. And that looks different to different women. You know, Mm -hmm. we're obviously in communities where it's kind of obvious that that would be at home with minimal people and minimal um, outside intervention. Um, But, you know, everyone has their own calculations and whether it's indoctrination or their, their true intuition or whatever, you know, plenty of women choose the hospital and are evaluating, you know, their risks that way. And the bottom line is to take responsibility for the decisions, but we can't, we can't really take responsibility for the outcome of the baby's Mm -mm. journey, which I think is what you're saying. Like they have, you know, they speak to us and in however they do. And, and our job is to birth, in a way that feels intuitive to us because they are Mm -hmm. us and beyond that, like what will be, will be. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I I could not imagine birthing at a hospital with how intimately I know them just because of fear that something was going to happen. But, but at the same time, I'm thinking of a friend of mine right now who was planning a home birth and had some tests done and, and, and her baby's having some real health issues, uh, mm-hmm. it in utero, and it's looking extremely likely that she will need, um, you know, postpartum support, and th- that the baby yeah. will need extra care. And so, you know, she's she's such a good example of someone who if it was just her making this decision on her own without keeping the baby in mind, she would be birthing at home. But of course, nobody does that. Of course she's acknowledging Mm -hmm. the baby's journey and what the baby might need and trying to anticipate that accurately. And she's having to really sacrifice part of what she would prefer her birthing experience to be and is going to birth in the hospital where it really does look like it will be safer for this baby. And this is a pretty unique Mm -hmm. situation. Um, Yeah. But- It's, it's an interesting other perspective, you know?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and, and the, just the depth of your stories and yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, we, we started this call before we were recording about how important it is to share all the stories, not just the, the pretty, perfect, empowering, you know, clean ones. Um, and you've really had a. You've really, you've really had a whole gamut of, you know, yeah, different experiences. And it's, it's like you've lived a hundred lives in one life.
1: Sometimes it feels like that. It's really overwhelming. I
0: (laughs) bet. I bet. This, I mean, to me, this is like the journey of the woman and the journey of the mother, because in a way, it's not unique. You know, of course your stories are super unique, but in a way, you know, it it's not. And I talk yeah. to women all the time who have just such a collection of mm-hmm. trauma and abuse and powerful stories and reclaiming and mm-hmm. you know, the whole wheel.
1: Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> thank you and you're welcome and and thank you for holding this space. And I know I get long-winded and it's hard when you're like, yeah, I've been pregnant seven times. Like, how do I, shorten right. how do you
0: encapsulate that? You know,
1: cause it, it's like you said, it, it's like, it's the whole, it's the whole picture. It's the whole wheel. And so it's like, well, do I not share this part? Right. This part's important. So it's like, you know, it's, you just I'm, need to I write need a that. book. Yeah. And and that's, yeah, basically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, sister. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, uh, thank you. Mwah. Mwah.
0: that's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.